This morning I invite you to open your Bibles. Um, if you didn't bring one today, there's one in the queue in front of you. Let's open to the very beginning. Genesis 1, verse 1, word 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God said, set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thank you, Brother Jeff. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. Every word of it, Lord, we know is the word of God. We don't come to this book now, Father, as we would come to other books. We come to it as it is. Uh, your book, the revealed, holy, perfect, true, inerrant, infallible, life-changing word of God. Speak to our hearts today. Teach us today. If anyone needs anything specifically today, would you, would you, uh, would you meet that need? I just work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Christopher Hitchens, a noted author and a leader in the atheist movement, died this week. A couple months ago, the news was all abuzz with the fact that computer geek and one of the founders of Apple Computer Company, Steve Jobs, died. Some years back, it's been several years back now, my favorite secular author died. His name was Alf White. Most people would not know him by that name. They would know him by his pen name, which was James Harriet. For some reason, I have to confess this morning that the deaths of these three men have profoundly saddened me. I've always been saddened uh, by death, of course, but for some reason, these guys jump out in my mind. James Harriet and Steve Jobs were both men who particularly influenced my life. I have every book that uh, uh, James Harriet ever wrote, dog-eared and tattered, and I've read them through hundreds of times. Other than the Bible, there is nothing I have read more than those particular books. And, of course, Steve Jobs has obviously influenced my life because of my secular career and those things. I always nursed a private hope that someday I might meet them. I always hoped that someday we would go to England on a vacation and I would go knock on James Harriet's door and I'd talk to him. I always nursed this private hope that someday I would get to shake Steve Jobs' hand. I, I don't know why. Everything I read about him, he was kind of a creep. But I, 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 I just wanted to meet the man. I just wanted to meet him. When we were in England, we did get the opportunity to go to England. It was after he had already passed away and we did go to his home. James Harriet's home, and we did, uh, it's a museum now, we toured around and looked at it, and I actually sat in his automobile that he had written about so many times in his books. 
I had no such interest in Christopher Hitchens. I, I knew nothing about him other than the fact that he was an atheist and he was the author of a best-selling book called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And so I, I didn't think I'd have a whole lot to discuss with Christopher Hitchens. But uh, in his passing this week, I have noticed comment after comment after comment from men and, and, and people that I greatly admire who are very saddened at his passing. People like Rick Warren who said, uh, My friend Christopher Hitchens has died. I loved and prayed for him constantly and grieve his loss. He knows the truth now. Men like Albert Moeller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, who said this, he said, Hitchens' death is an excruciating reminder of the consequences of unbelief. We can only pray others will believe. Few things are so valued in this life as brilliance and eloquence, both of which seem to embody Christopher Hitchens and his reputation. Moeller said, neither will matter in the world to come. The point about Christopher Hitchens is not that he died of unbelief, but that his unbelief is all that matters now. Unspeakably sad. It is sad. Here are three men, one who died several years back, one who died several months back, and one who just died a few days ago. And all of those deaths are unspeakably sad. Uh, not just because I had always nursed the hope of meeting a couple of them. And, and now that I've learned a little bit about this last one, I actually kind of think I might have liked to sit down and talk with him as well. Uh, but, but what is so sad about it is that if, if everything that I read about them is true, if the evidence that is available to me is true, I never will. I'll never speak to any of them. You see, all three of these men apparently had something in common. And that thing that they had in common was that they apparently, based on the evidence, did not believe what we just read, what our brother Jeff just read. They did not believe the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. None of them, apparently. Now, I have to, I have to back up here and, and issue a little caveat here because the fact is we don't know that. And we always have to be very careful with that. I never want to stand up and say somebody is in hell today, absolutely certainly, because we don't know. The fact is, up until the very last breath somebody draws, they have an opportunity to trust Christ. And it is very possible that all three of these men will surprise us when we get to heaven. And wouldn't that be great? And there, some of these guys who wrote such words about Christopher Hitchens, even though he, he was an avowed atheist, there were, there were some of these men who said, we have witnessed to him and witnessed to him and witnessed to him, and we're still hoping and praying that on his deathbed, he came to know the Lord. I like the way one person said it. He said, the Savior still calls people to work in his vineyard when the sun is almost down. And he saved the thief on the cross on his deathbed. And so maybe, maybe these men are with the Lord. I want to throw that caveat out there. We simply don't know for certain. But that being said, the evidence tells us no. The evidence of their life is that we will never meet them. The evidence is that they were unbelievers and they are in hell today. You see, you can't go to heaven if you don't accept those first four words. In the beginning, God. You just can't do it. Hebrews chapter 11 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. That's pretty clear. You can't get there if you don't believe. In the beginning, God. I want us to think about those four words today. Actually, I want us to think about that first verse of the Bible, which is our text today. Um, in the beginning, God, not, nothing about our faith, 
Nothing that we teach here at Friendship Bible Church, nothing else that we read in God's Word, the Bible, nothing about Christianity at all, nothing uh, could possibly be true if it weren't for those four words. They may be the most important four words in the entire Bible, in the beginning, God. And so consider the rest of the verse then, based on that thought. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If the first half is true, let me ask you, why would we ever question the second half? If the first four words are true, what possible reason could we have for doubting the next six words? We've been for some time now digging deeper into our statement of faith. And I want to continue that this morning. might not seem like a Christmas message, but we'll try to make it one toward the end. But I want to talk today about digging deeper into beginnings. I couldn't think of an ology word that fits here. There ought to be one somewhere, but I couldn't think of what it was. So we're just going to dig deeper into beginnings. And our statement of faith has a couple of sentences that that deal with this issue. And here's what it says. It says, quote, We believe the biblical account of the creation of the universe through the direct and immediate creative acts of God. We believe in the unique creation of man in the image and likeness of God and that physical life is his sovereign gift. The deliberate killing of the unborn, the sick, disabled, or elderly is wrong and abomination before him. Both of those deal with this belief. Both of those deal with beginnings and what we as a church accept. And the fact is we can sum it up by saying we believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Let me divide my thoughts up into just two two thoughts today. Number one, we believe God created everything. Everything. And number two, to get more specific, we believe God created you and created me. So we'll just look at those two things this morning. First of all, we believe God created everything. Isn't that what it says in verse number one? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That pretty much sums it up, encompasses everything, the heavens and the earth. I know it's not considered enlightened. I know that. I know it's even considered ignorant. Some people would consider that uh, you're part of the flat earth society if you happen to go on on record as saying that you believe that God created the earth in six literal 24-hour days. So be it. I believe God created the earth in six literal 24-hour days. And that's what our statement of faith, which we subscribe to as a church, says clearly. We believe the biblical account of the creation of the universe through the direct and immediate creative acts of God. And that biblical account that our brother just read to us says that God created the earth in six literal 24-hour days. And I know there's some of you right here right now that are more enlightened than me that are saying, well, what about Darwin? Preacher, what about the origin of the species? Well, he was wrong. Nothing else needs to be said. He was wrong. What about the science of evolution? Well, that's what they'll call it today. It's a theory. But some people will call it a science, the science of evolution. And same answer, it's wrong. It's false science. It's bad science. It's based on incorrect conclusions. It's wrong. What about all the scientific evidence, preacher? What about, uh, you know, carbon-14 dating? And, and what about the fossil record and, and, and blah, 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 all that stuff? It's wrong. There's nothing else really needs to be said about any of those things. These things are Wrong. The fact is, we as Christians need to get stiffer spines about this kind of stuff, and we need to be willing to stand up and say, that is not right. We shouldn't be afraid of that. Just because the entire world shouts something, if we know that the Word of God says something different, why will we not stand and say that the Word of God says something different? I just read this week, 
this past week, about a couple of students, I think it was in New York, who got suspended from school for T-bowing. Anybody, anybody else read that? Now, I'm sure there's more to this story. They were probably doing something else, too. But the story said that they were suspended from school for T-bowing. And I'll tell you something, if my kids got suspended from school for kneeling down and praying, I'd be at the school. But the fact is, most parents today, Christian parents, will cave to that kind of thing. We're spineless. We don't stand up. We don't stand for the truth. Recently, an atheist group in somewhere up north, I think it was Wisconsin or Minnesota, this happened just the past week or so as well, this atheist group, can't remember the name of the group, they sent a letter to a, a town in Texas, clear on the other side of the country, and they sent a letter in this town and they said, we understand that you have a nativity scene uh, somewhere on your, uh, your courthouse lawn or something. We demand you take that down. Clear up there, demand it. And of course, hallelujah, the authorities in that particular town said, pound sand and we're not going to listen to you. But most people would have gone into the fetal position and absolutely caved to that kind of thinking. Because that's the way we as Christians are. Why won't we stand up whenever something like this comes up? I don't think there is any place, any place where the church of Jesus Christ, where Christians in general have caved more than in this matter right here. In the beginning, God. Pitiful how the church has gone through gyration after gyration after gyration to fit this into the silly ideas that mankind has come up with. It's pitiful. Now listen to me. There is ample scientific evidence to support the, the Genesis creation account. Tons of it. And there are godly men and women who have spent their lives developing resources to demonstrate that. The scientific evidence, when viewed objectively, supports the creation account, does not support the evolutionary story. And in every place that you study this, you'll find that they try constantly to change the evolutionary theory because they're constantly finding the evidence doesn't support it. Dating methods that are used to suggest an age of millions of years are based on flawed assumptions. The fossil record clearly demonstrates creation rather than Evolution, there's no question. And, and, and every supposed evidence that godless scientists come up with, uh, that's true of. It actually supports creation more than evolution. And if you don't believe that, go and read the writings of some godly scientists. And you'll see that they have just that, that kind of evidence. But here's the fact. I'm not one of them. I'm not a scientist. And I can't stand before you today and, and really speak eloquently about that kind of thing. If the fact is, um, I, I base everything I believe on what God said in the Bible. Which brings me back to my initial point. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's why I believe we ought to stand on it. Not because some scientist says it. Science changes every day. This is the word of God. And we stand on the word of God. If you want some scientific evidence, come to me afterwards. I will point you to some resources, to some people who have developed some things that you will not be able in a lifetime to digest. There is so much information out there on it. But this morning, I hope that you will simply hear the Bible. In the beginning, God created. That's why we believe it. That's why we stand on it as a church. And that's why you and I need to stand on it as individual believers. And I can imagine right now you're all saying, come on, preacher, one little verse... All of civilized society is telling us that we, we were evolved from goo. And you're going to tell me that based on one little verse, you're going to believe in creation? No, not one little verse. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. 
Psalm chapter 90, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Genesis chapter 2, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Nehemiah chapter 9, you alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. Psalm 33 verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Psalm chapter 102, of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Isaiah 43, everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Isaiah 44, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself. Isaiah 45, thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. Jeremiah chapter 10, he has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. Acts chapter 14, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. Acts chapter 17, God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews chapter 1 has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds. Hebrews 1.10, you Lord in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Not just one verse. The Bible screams it. Everywhere you look, in the beginning, God created. Revelation chapter 4. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. It doesn't matter what science says. There is simply no need to try and fit what God has said. The omnipotent, perfect, right, all-knowing God. To fit what he has said into the ravings of flawed men. The Bible says, let God be true, but every man a liar. In the beginning, God created. It's not my goal this morning to get into specifics. Our brother read the entire chapter, and you saw there what happened on each of the six days of creation. I'll, I'll leave you to study that on your own. But this morning, for the purpose of us digging deeper into what we believe as a church, I just want to trumpet that simple truth. We believe the biblical account of the creation of the universe through the direct and immediate creative acts of God. We believe that. There is one specific, though, that I'd like to mention, and that's point number two. We don't just generally believe that God created the heavens and the earth. We also very specifically believe he created you and he created me. The first chapter of Genesis does describe those specifics. It talks about the fact that he created light, heaven, earth, the land, the seas, vegetation, the sun, moon, and stars, life that flies, life that swims, life that crawls on the land. And then it describes that he created man. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We believe not only in the creation of all things. We believe in the unique creation of man in the image and likeness of God and that physical life is his sovereign gift. We believe that the deliberate killing of the unborn, the sick, disabled, or elderly is wrong, an abomination before him. You know, the story of God's creation of man, both male and female, is a wonderful story. It's described there in just a couple verses, and it's, it's expanded in chapter 2, which, again, I will encourage you to go off and read on your own and study on your own, see what those details are. Because I think as you read it, you'll come away thinking just like the psalmist thought when he said in Psalm 139, he said, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. You are a creation of God. You were created in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a marvelous work of the almighty God of the universe. Think about that. The spectacular truth. You are a creation of God. Our statement of faith doesn't stop. Did you notice? It doesn't stop with just the fact that you are a unique creation created, though, in the image of God. Uh, It goes on. It says some other things, doesn't it? Did you notice some of those other things it says? Uh, Those are kind of things that I, I think, as we read them, we'll see bolster the words of the psalmist. It says the deliberate killing of the unborn, the sick, disabled, or elderly is wrong and an abomination before him. In other words, you and I were not only created, but because we were created by God, we're special. We're special. There's a purpose to our life. There is a meaning to our life. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. Every life is special. And every life has purpose and value. That's what that statement is trying to say. And notice it says that life is his sovereign gift. Now, I know in society today, it's common to find the attitude that values a child's life more than an adult's. Unless, of course, that child is still in the womb, in which case has no value at all. But if you'll see oftentimes a story of multiple people dying, a house burning down or something like that, you'll often hear a comment said by a newscaster or somebody like that. It's so sad because some of them were children. With the implication being the life of the child was more valuable than the other lives that were lost. And I know a lot of people fall into that way of thinking. And At the risk of shocking some who may have bought into the world's view, let me say plainly that if the Bible is true, that's simply not true. That child's life is no more valuable than the 99-year-old grandmother who also perished in that fire. That's a negative way of saying it. Maybe a positive way would be to say that the grandparent's life is every bit as valuable as that child's life. Every life, every life is valuable. Similarly, we could say there is absolutely no less value to a handicapped person's life than to an athlete's life. All were created by God. And all were created in the image of God. And all are loved and precious 
to the one who created them. And that's why at Friendship Bible Church, we will never support a woman's right to choose. We will not do that. That's the world's nice way of describing abortion. Nor will we ever subscribe to the devil-inspired ideas which are gaining more and more traction in our countries today that medical care should somehow be slanted toward those the world considers more productive. How do we make such a choice? We're not going to support that. We're always going to fight against the killing of the unborn, the sick, the disabled, and the elderly, for all these things are an abomination to our God who created all in his image. Well, I'm done frothing. God created it all. That alone is a wonder, is it not? As we drive home today and as we look at the creation, we ought to be thankful. And we ought to look at it through eyes that say, my God created that. He is the creator of all things. We ought to praise him for it. And not only did he create it all, he created me. And he created you. And therefore, we have value, infinite worth, infinite purpose. And I love the way the Apostle Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 2. And I think Phil must have been looking at my outline this morning because he quoted every single verse I used this morning, I think, at his lesson today. But Ephesians chapter 2, I love the way Paul put it when he talked to the Ephesians and he said, we are his workmanship. His workmanship. And that doesn't sound real cool in our English translation. Until you understand that in the Greek, that's the word poema. We are his poema, from which we get the word poem, from which we get the word masterpiece. We're his poem. We're his masterpiece. The epitome of creation. And now perhaps this morning as you think about these things, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, well, why does this matter and what does this have to do with the time of year? And What difference does it make really to me today whether I evolved from a sea of soup or whether God created me? What difference does that really have to do? How does it apply to the situations I face today and to the real world problems that I deal with each and every day. And maybe some of you here today are having a completely different thought going through your mind. Maybe some of you today are sitting there saying, if God created me in his image, if God made me so special, why is my life so stinking messed up? The fact is the Bible story doesn't end with the story of creation. If you keep reading in Genesis, you find that although things were perfect and good, and did you notice how many times as Brother Jeff read, it was good, it was good, it was good. Until the very end, it was very good. Even though that's the way it was at the beginning, something went terribly wrong. You know the story. We don't have time to get into it this morning. You know it. We broke it. That perfect creation we broke. And sin entered the picture. And Our wonderful creator, God, who created us that we might be with him, who created us that we might walk with him and talk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. And now he couldn't look upon the wreck that we had made of it. And now, now, As Isaiah said, our iniquities have separated us from God and sins have hidden his face from us so that he can't hear. That's why it's messed up. And the creator could have, think about this, the creator could have, as many of us would have done, said, well, look at that mess. I'm just going to wipe that out and I'm going to start all over again. He could have taken the whole thing and wadded it up like we would a piece of paper and thrown it in the trash can and been done with it. And that would have been a valid solution. (laughs) But he didn't do that. He chose to fix it. He chose to fix it. And the fix is what we celebrate at Christmas every year. It's what we celebrate this coming week. He sent his son to Bethlehem to be born to a virgin, uh, to, to the Virgin Mary, to live a sinless life, to die in your place, to fix the mess that is 
all of our lives. And he who had in the beginning created the heavens and the earth now sent his son to recreate it. His son who now says, behold, I make all things new. He who had in the image of God created us in the first place now sent his son of whom the Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He fixed it. I was thinking this week about something that happened in my grandmother's house many years ago. Not the house she lives in now, another house that she lived in. I remember we were sitting in her living room one day. The house that you fixed up, brother. We were sitting in her living room one day, and she had a big picture window. And we would look out that picture window, and she had trees and things. We noticed this beautiful red cardinal sitting in a tree out there. And suddenly, as we watched this red cardinal, he took a beeline shot right at that window. Pow! And smashed right into the glass. Fluttered down to the, to the porch there, and we jumped up and went to look at him. He was bobbling around there like he was dazed, kind of like Colt McCoy. And he jumped up, and he went back into the tree again. We thought, well... He kind of made a mistake there, didn't he? Kind of a crazy bird. And then all of a sudden, pow! He hit the window again. And then he flew back over there. Pow! He did it again. And again. And again. Over and over. We were astonished. He did it and he did it and he did it until the blood was just flowing down the glass of that window. And we researched that a little bit. We thought, what in the world? And we come to find out it's really not that uncommon. That bird had seen its reflection in the glass, and it didn't like what it saw. You know, I think some of us are like that bird. I think some of us think to ourselves, if I'm a creation of God, I sure am a mess. I don't like what I see. If that is you this morning, you are a creation of God. And he did send his only begotten son. To fix everything. To save your soul. And all you need to do is turn your life over to him. Because folks, whether we believe it or not, whether we are like Christopher Hitchens and Alf White and Steve Jobs or anybody else, if we don't believe in the beginning, God, nothing else matters. Nothing else. Turn your life over to him, and he'll fix it all.